Second Peter chapter number one, I want to thank God for every one of you who have chosen to come. It's great to see people that are new Christians that are returning back on a Wednesday night and then those who have been doing this their whole life. And I admire so very much for that. And I'm asking the Lord to help us this evening. I've been looking forward to this time. The book of Second Peter is the swan song of the great apostle Peter. And it's an interesting story. He's, he's getting ready to die. History books tell us he would die by crucifixion. Jesus predicted that. He would be lifted up and he would, uh, he said, you can do what you want to do now, but one day when you die, someone else is going to decide that for you. And they understand that he died as a crucifixion. He asked to be turned upside down. Looks like the Nero, the, uh, the Roman emperor, is the one who was responsible to end his life. But uh, he was not wasted. Man, the guy, God used him in a wonderful way. Uh, some of us are a lot like Peter. We enjoy eating shoe leather from time to time and uh, sticking our foot in our mouth and saying things we shouldn't say and being impetuous, and that was him. But the Lord used his strong gifts and made him one of the predominant leaders of the apostles. And uh, certainly Peter, James, and John. John was the last disciple to spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God the book of John. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the Revelation. And then James, he was the first pastor of the church, uh, and he would be the, one of the early uh, apostles to be beheaded. And he, I think he pastored the church at Jerusalem, and, and, uh, and he would have his head taken off by a local authority there. But, but these three men were used of the Lord in a special way. Of course, Jesus trained 12, one of them being Judas, who did not uh, make the journey after, uh, after the crucifixion and uh, did not stay faithful to the Lord and did not, uh, maybe not even accepted him. I don't, some people's debatable whether or not he went to heaven or hell, but most people believe he went to hell. I don't know that for sure. Wouldn't know that about anybody, quite frankly. I, that's something that God, God uh, needs to tell us on those situations. But we know that the Lord Jesus spent a lot of time with Peter. He could see him right up quickly that he said, Peter, when you're converted... You'll strengthen the brethren. When you get it, you'll help people. It took him a while to get it. But to thank God for that opportunity. And thank God that God gave us the opportunity to work with someone that was kind of a hard head. And uh, I think when I think about Peter, I always think about that, that moment that he spent on the beach there. Jesus had already had bread and fish. And he had fished all night, caught nothing. The Lord Jesus told him to cast it down the other side, took it up. They had a large catch of fish. The net did not break. They brought it to shore, and it got quiet. Jesus said, lovest thou me more than these? Asked him three times and told him, if you do love me, I need you to feed sheep. I need you to feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He told him that, and, and uh, Peter got it. Peter understood it, and uh, he practiced that. And you can see that in 1 Peter chapter 5, in the first three or four verses where he said, I'm an, I'm an elder, and I'm talking to all the elders. I'm the pastor, and I'm talking to pastors. And I witness the sufferings of Christ. But he told him, he says, look, I'm going to encourage you to do something. Feed the flock of God. Oversee. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Not for money, but for of a ready mind. Uh, not being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And then he said, finally, remember the chief shepherd. When he comes back, then he will reward you for being faithful in shepherding people. And it's not just the pastor that does that. I think, I think uh, you need to understand that God has given each of us opportunities to pastor people with him. 
Someone said there is just two openings open in Christendom. One is to pastor a church. The other is to help the pastor pastor the church. And all of us are shepherding to some extent. Mother, you're shepherding children. Uh, you're in a bus route. You're a shepherd for those, those that bus families. Uh, all of us, if Sunday school teachers and things of that nature, if you're a Sunday school teacher, that's fine. If you're helping your Sunday school teacher, that'd be good. Help that pastor. Help that, that shepherd to help them. I always thought it was a great time when I was working as a Sunday school teacher when occasionally an adult would come up to me and say, Pastor, or Brother Wilkerson, Brother John, I wasn't a pastor. I was just a Sunday school teacher. What can I help you do? He, and one guy told me, he said, you know, you got a few people. You'll meet a disciple or people to call. You always aggravate me. Well, let me aggravate three or four people with you, and I'll, I'll take care of He would say, give me three or four names. I'll follow up with them. You're always visiting me. You don't have to visit me anymore. I'll be there. We'll get there. We'll help with the donuts. We'll help with the class. We'll be there early. won't be late. And we'll start helping you pastor the people. Give us some people to follow up. And I think that's a great way to think about it. Don't just go sit soaking sour. You know, it's good to bring something for the class, but you ought to say, who can I go visit? Who can I go help? Is there anybody in the class that needs some attention? And find something to do, because God wants us to be serving and helping people. In the end of your life, and when you stand for God, it's not going to matter how much you had in your bank account. It won't matter what your address was. It won't matter what car you drove. No one's going to give a rip about that. It's going to matter what you did for eternity. And I think these are things that we, that we oftentimes get caught up, narrow-minded and, 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 and nearsighted on things. Well, the book of 2 Peter, you could tell that he has an urgency about him. And he's writing, and this letter would be circulated, it looks like to me, to many congregations and people. I'm glad the Lord captured it and put it in our Bible. The book of 2, Timothy, 2 Peter is a tremendous, tremendous book. of the Bible. Only three chapters. If you were to simplicity or simple, simply uh, outline the chapter, I think chapter 1 is just simple guidance for maturing Christians. He'll just talk about adding to your faith and giving attendance to God's word. The, the, the second chapter is far more serious. It's serious dangers that face growing Christians. And that is false doctrine and false teachers. We'll see that in a moment. Chapter 3, he's going to give them solid hope. In a world where people are scoffing the things of God, scoffing when he's going to come back, why is he, if he's all this, why does he let bad things happen? He's going to give him solid hope. And that hope rests in the knowledge of God and the returning of God to this earth to take his people home. It's a great book of the Bible. I hope that you'll not just study it with me tonight, but you'll go home, read it, listen to it, study it, find more things that uh, might be more applicable to you. The key verse I'll give to you, and I think it's, uh, it's the last verse, that I, and there are other key verses you could pick, but let's read it together, verse number 17 and 18. Or like just verse 18, let's read it together. Can we please? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Are you ready? But grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And forever, amen. Father, give me wisdom just to share a few thoughts tonight from this wonderful book. There's no way I'd love to go verse by verse, and there are many wonderful things, but we have a short amount of time. And I want to, I want to spend time talking to you this evening about some very important matters. Would you please help us? Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the people of God. What good people that you've given us in this ministry. Thank you, Lord, for hardworking security men who work and those who work in the AV and those who work in the nursery and those, Lord, who will be out tomorrow uh, working at the college. Not because they have to, because they get to. Thank you for bus workers and Sunday school teachers and those who are serving the kids right now in the Transformer Kids Club. 
Would you please give wisdom? Those who are being discipled, I pray you please help each of us tonight to see what your word says and apply it to our hearts and life. In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, that last verse says, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Grow in grace. I think grace simply is God's supernatural help. Grow in letting God help you. <laughs> and what is the key to, to grace? Humility. When we're humble, God gives grace to the humble. To grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. You know, you can know a lot about a lot of people and you'll get real discouraged. But you know something about God. And he, said, he, he says, if the wise man, don't let him glory in his intellect. The strong man, don't let him glory in his might. But if someone wants to glory about something, glory in that he understandeth and knows God. You'll never go wrong knowing God. Jesus said, come unto me, all your labor heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. You keep learning about the Lord, you're going to find he'll become your focus and you're going to grow. Pressuring your spouse to change will not work. Growth in Christ will work. Trying to get something done in a spiritual way or a tangible way or logical way, they may or may not give you your desired result. But I think learning to grow in Christ and learn about Him is going to bring a lot of things through. And you're going to grow that way. I'm going to grow that way. May the Lord help us to do that. As we think about the outline, I gave you the simple outline, and that was a simple guidance, chapter 1, serious dangers, chapter 2, and solid hope, chapter 3. But let's look at the little broke down here. Number 1, uh, the breakdown of the outline, fortifying your faith. Chapter 1, rest heavily upon faith. Fortifying your faith, adding to your faith, attending to God's Word. Let's just look at a couple verses here. Verse number 1, can you look at it with me, if you would, please, of chapter 1. Simon Peter, the servant of the apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that obtain like precious what? Faith. With us, through the righteousness of God. How did, you, how did you get the opportunity to obtain this precious faith through the goodness and righteousness of God and our Savior? And who is salvation possible through? Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Just think about how many times Jesus and God are referenced in two verses there. I wonder how many times we spoke his name today, typed his name out on a text, maybe in an email, wrote it in a note. You know, Jesus is something that needs to come across our mind's eye, off our lips, off our end of our pencils, off our fingers when we're doing text. Jesus should be someone we talk about. Here he says two verses and mentions Jesus three times and God and the Father and those things. Just in a quick greeting, I think it's a good, wise thing for all of us to do. Verse number three, according as his divine power hath given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, once again Jesus, that has called us to virtue or glory and virtue. Read verse 4 with me, would you please? Whereby are giving unto us exceeding great and precious promises of the denying nature. There, okay, just a couple things real quickly. I want to just remind you that uh, the way we add to our faith is getting to know Jesus Christ. And there's three things about Jesus you and I need to focus on. Number one, his person, who he is. Number two, his power, what he can do. Number three, his promises. And you can see that in those verses. You'll see those three words. You'll see his power and his promises. And then the Bible says that he's given me his divine nature. You know, a nature determines four things real quickly. Um, it, it determines your appetite, what you like to eat. It determines your environment, where you want to 
live, what you want to, what you want to do there. I think it also determines your association, who you want to hang around, and it, it determines your behavior. Your nature determines how you behave yourself. Dogs bark. Cats meow. Why? Because that's their nature. Okay? Lions don't want to eat grass. They want to eat meat. Why? That's their nature. Uh, horses kick. <laughs> Why? That's their nature. Uh, birds don't kick. It's not their nature. It's not uh, 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 your, your nature determines your behavior. It determines your appetite. It determines your association. It determines your environment. And the Bible says when we get saved, we get a new divine nature. I have Christ in me, and I'm in him. The Holy Spirit's inside, and I have a new nature. It should make me have a different appetite. I'm not saying I don't have a, world, a worldly attraction. I have it. You probably have it. But, boy, there ought to be something inside of us. You know, when someone, when a baby's born, two things happen real quickly. Number one, they want to take intake into their mouth. I got to see uh, Miss Priscilla Ferguson and Brother Dan. They have a brand-new baby, Owen, and we're happy about that. And one of the things I asked, I asked them, I said, how is he eating? Oh, he's eating really good, doing really good. You know, that's good because uh, the whole time that that little Owen has been inside of Priscilla, he hasn't wanted to eat anything in the mouth. But you know what changed that? Birth. <laughs> as soon as that, that baby was born, it wanted to suck. It wanted a bottle. It wanted to take in oral food. Well, when you're saved, there ought to be an, there ought to be an appetite change. That's just what happens. And then two, when you become a child, you want to please and know your father. Even if your dad's not been all that great, you still wish you had a dad. I was talking to a man on the phone yesterday, and he was telling me about some challenges in life. I said, well, tell me about your life. He goes, well, I don't know my dad. Or I did meet my dad, but I was 37 years old before I met him the first time. And we're not talking because he didn't do something I felt like he should have done. I mean, after all these years, abandoned me, and now he could have done something to been there at a special time, and I don't, even want to, I don't even know if I even want to talk to him. And I understand the man's thing, but you know, inside of his heart, he had a stepdad, but he just didn't, it didn't do the same. Because inside of anyone who's born wants a relationship with their dad, wants to please their dad, wants to be close to their dad, wants their dad to be pleased with them. And what comes in when we get saved? But your nature determines uh, your nature, divine nature. And boy, that determines who I want to be around, my, my association. What kind of environment do I enjoy? What kind of food do I take in? Usually when someone is saved, genuinely saved, they have an appetite. They may not know everything about the Bible, but there ought to be something about that they want to, they want to know more about. I loved helping with the discipleship. And I love taking time to go through discipleship. I was talking to two men today, and both of which have been saved and been discipled in this ministry, and they are just growing. It's wonderful to see them bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. You can tell that, that they're interested in the, in the things of God. You know why? They're saved. But sometimes you and I forget the joy of being saved. And that is something he warns him about. He said, I'm going I'm to remind you about this. If you've got this divine nature in you, I want you to look at verse number 5 and see what he tells us to do. And besides this, having this divine nature and the presence of God and the promises and the pr power of Christ, and besides this, would you read the next three words? Whoa! What does that sound like to you? Work. <laughs> he said, look, if you're saved, you've got to work. You don't work to go to heaven. Someone said it in a poem, he goes, I, 
Um, I cannot work my soul to save, for that the Lord hath done. But now I'm saved, I can work like any slave, for the love of God's dear Son. We don't work to go to heaven, we work because we are going to heaven. Sometimes you will take that verse of Scripture out of context where it says, work out your own salvation. You don't work to go to save, but if you're saved, it ought to work. I love the verse, and you do too, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works. Lest any man should boast. But we're his workmanship. Verse number 10. Created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. That he has before ordained that we should walk in them. He said, you don't work so you can get saved. But after you're saved, you should work. Everybody ought to have something they do with the Lord and for the Lord. And the Christian life is going to require some diligence. Now, here's what happens if we don't do diligence in our Christian walk. Now, he's going to tell us some things we've got to add to our faith. Let's look at it quickly, and I need to, to hasten. I'm getting bogged down in chapter 1, but I think it's important for us to see it. You're familiar with it, but I want you to notice a couple of things. Verse 5, And besides this, give all diligence. Add to your faith. That's salvation. If you got this faith inside of you, verse number 1, that precious faith that came because of the righteousness of Jesus, if you're saved, add to your faith. What's the first thing? Virtue. That's separation. That's purity. Because you'll never grow past your willingness to separate. Uh, the, he, uh, Proverbs chapter 18. Through desire, a man having separated himself. Seek is the meddle with all wisdom. You want to seek and meddle with wisdom? You want to grow? You better separate from things counterproductive to that growth. I love hearing Brother James Woosey talk about Hammond Baptist schools. And he tells about the purpose of our schools. And they're threefold. One is, of course, certainly to pass on our faith to our children. To pass on our faith to the next generation. That's goal number one. Number two is to separate from them from anything counterproductive to that pursuit, to that faith. Number three is to teach them the reading, writing, arithmetic, and help them grow in physical growth, and spiritual growth, and social growth, and intellectual growth. And, and those are things that we want to do. We don't always do it successfully. We've got a lot of room for improvement in every one of our ministries, but that's our goal. That's what we're trying to do. But, you know, you can't grow properly if you're not willing to separate from questionable things. I think even how God made the world. In day number one, and he said, he, he said, he said in, in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was out form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. Then two things happened. The Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. So look at God made the world in a blob of water, and then his Spirit moved on the face of the water. Number two, his word spoke. And the Lord God said, let there be light. And there was light. So the first day, he turned the light on. Salvation took place. That's how you and I are created. We're empty. The Bible says the world was empty. When you're, you're created by God, but to be God's child, you need to understand I'm empty. I'm in the dark. I don't have purpose. And then what needs to happen? God's spirit needs to work. God's word needs to speak. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Then God's spirit moves, brings conviction of sin to a person. And then the light comes on. God says, let there be light. But you know what happens on day number two? Or day number three, what happens? Growth begins to take place. He said, let's put the waters over here. Let's put the ground over here. And we'll make, we'll make all the vegetation. We'll start stuff growing. Day number one, nothing grows, to my knowledge. Day number two, nothing grows. Day number three, things grow. But you know what happened on day number two? God says, let's divide the waters from the waters. Let's keep some water down here on the earth and let's take some of that water and put it up in heaven. And let's create firmament, space, distance 
between the world that we live on and the world that God lives on. And let's divide the water smart. Separation, I think, will never grow past our willingness to separate to God from the world. And prove what's that good and acceptable will of God. He said, add to your faith, virtue. Let's look at the other things we'll add there. We'll just keep going through it. Add to your faith, virtue. And to virtue, what? Knowledge. You start growing after you're separated into God. Then to knowledge and pure knowledge, you'll add temperance. And to temperance, patience. And that's strength to continue to keep going. And to patience, what? Godliness. You start living in a godlike way and responding to things. And then to godliness... Brotherly kindness, to be treating people differently. And then to brotherly kindness, the pristine attribute of a Christian is charity. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love. Paul said it like this, there are by faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is, and he tells them, I want you to desire a more excellent way. What's the more excellent gift? It's love. It's the pristine attribute of God. So he said, here we're going to start off with faith, but then you add to your faith, Separation and purity, holiness, and then, and, then, and then knowledge. You'll get to know more. From your knowledge, you'll get, you'll get temperance. And from temperance to patience. And then patience to, to uh, brotherly kindness. And then you're going to find, you're going to ultimately end up in the pressing attribute that God wants us to have, and that is love. Love is the thing that, you know, dress codes, standards are not about those things. They're about when you love uh, entertainment, should you? Should you drink? Should you not drink? Should you do this? A lot of those things really are taken care of for one word, L-O-V-E. When you love God, you'll love what he loves. You'll hate what he hates. You'll want to, you'll want to walk, march to his. A lot of those things we want to argue. Ah, we can't do this. Can't do that. You know, when you love, you don't think about that. You, you just love the one that is the object of your love. And that's where it is. That's the, the supreme attribute. He said, now look, if this doesn't happen, if we stop growing, if we stop giving diligence, there are three negative byproducts. Let's look at them real quickly, and then I'll need to skip to the next part. Verse number 8. For if these things be in you and abound, so all these attributes that the Holy Spirit of God brings as a result of our diligence and adding to this, if these be in you and abound, they make you that you would neither be, what? Barren, nor, you know, all of us want to be fruitful as Christians, in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. One negative byproduct of failing to continue to grow and add to these things is we become unfruitful. God's not using my life. He's not using your life. You become, you became less fruitful. You're not having that spiritual fruit that you want. He said you become unfruitful. Let's look at the next negative byproduct of failing to grow and let the Lord grow through us. Number, number nine. But he that lacketh these things is what? And cannot afar off, and hath begotten, forgotten these persons of sin. The second negative byproduct of not growing consistently in the Lord is we become nearsighted. We don't see the big picture. You can't see far off. You only can see what you can see and become very temporal whenever we stop growing. That's when we begin thinking about now and nasty now and now. We forgot thinking about the eternal. We don't see the big picture. We just see how it affects me right now. So a negative byproduct of not growing and not adding to our faith all these virtues and these, these attributes, number one, we become unfruitful. Number two, we can't see afar off. We're blinded. We, we're not, we, we don't have good vision. And the last thing you can see in verse number, number 10, and wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence, once again, using the challenge to be, to be, to be active and to be working, 
to make your calling and election sure. Grow in your faith. For if ye do these things, ye shall never... So what's the byproduct of not doing those things? Falling. We don't want to be unfruitful. We don't want to be nearsighted. And we don't want to fall. And one of the ways we do it is to keep on growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So adding to your faith. Let's go back to our outline if we can, please. Fortify your faith by adding to your faith and by attending to God's word. The rest of the chapter 1 is going to talk about the scriptures. But you'll see a key word in verse 12 and verse 13. Do you, do you see it there and verse 15? Do you see the word? 12, 13, and 15? What word do you see that's common? Remembrance. Yeah. And here, Peter is saying, look, you've got to remember this. I'm going to stir up your holy minds with this remembrance. By the way, never be afraid to repeat the obvious. It's the obvious that many of us have forgotten. <laughs> Paul said to Timothy, he said in Timothy chapter 4, he said, look, don't get bored with the basics. He said, encourage and, and keep on. If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. You know, moms and dads, we've got to keep on saying the same thing. <laughs> and remember, remind them of the, of the truths of God's Word and certainly give attendance to the Word of God. This, If you look at the last verse, if you don't have this underlined in your Bible, you need to have it underlined. And that's verse 21 of chapter 1. Let's look at it. Can we please and read it out loud together? For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, Okay, this is a great verse. When you hear someone say to you, ah, that book's just written by men. Okay? And you could say, wow, it's interesting. You know, if I wrote a piece of paper, if I wrote a piece of paper, guess who wrote this piece of paper? No, the, you did. No, I didn't. The pen wrote it. <laughs> I don't have ink in my, in my fingernail. You know, you know what the Bible tells us there? He said, this, the word of God did not come in old time. By the will of man. Some guys say, I think I'm going to write some of the Bible today. No. But holy men of God, holy means they belong to God. They spake as they were, what's the word there? Moved by the Holy Ghost. You know, it's like this pen. I moved this pen on the paper. I could, I could write, dear friend, or whatever. I could say, thank you. Or I could write something very hateful and unkind. But the truth of the matter is, it is whatever it, the pen does is an instrument. And God used four different instruments to write what he wanted. He's the author of the scriptures. A great verse to underline, memorize, and make, a, make note of. So number chapter 1 is fortifying your faith. Chapter 2 is fighting false doctrine and false teachers. You're going to see in chapter 2 that he's going to give several illustrations. He gives the manner of the false prophets. He gives the methods and the motives. And his covetousness is their motives, their message is going to, be, going to be very questionable. But then he gives examples. And, and of course, he uses the angels that fell with, with Lucifer. He uses Lot as an example. He'll use several examples in chapter 2. And he compares all of them to false teachers and false doctrine. Had someone quote this back to me. Remember, doctrine determines destiny. It also determines your direction and your conduct. Okay? But he says, look, you're going to have to be careful. And he tells the growing Christian... Here's some simple guidelines, chapter 1. Chapter 2, here's some very serious dangers. And they come in doctrinal error and, 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 and erroneous teachers. And he, he begins to describe them and says, here's the kind of people that they'll be. And here's what they'll do. And you can see that in chapter 2. But it's going to be a fight against it. I think probably uh, you see Apostle Paul tell Timothy in Timothy chapter 1. He said, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. 
as a young man to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And one of the things that Titus says, you need to have your doctrine sound. That means clean, pure, right. It's important that doctrine be clean. And it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of teaching out there. You listen to the radio, you listen to TV, you listen, read this blog, read that blog. There's a lot of things. And boy, we have to really take it through the filter of God's Word. Is this what God's saying? And, you know, I would say this. If it's new truth, you ought to, you ought to be weary of it, okay? Because there's no new truth under the sun. Sometimes I'm going to show you something you've never seen before. You may want to be careful about that. Because, there, because the Bible's very clear, and it's no, no private interpretation. So no one has a corner on the Scriptures. And oftentimes you'll see that the false teachers, like Balaam is referenced here, Lot. And one of the things that, that is challenging, and, and, and God's going to tell us in chapter 2, that he is going to deal with these false teachings and the false teachers. He says, I know how to deliver the righteous out of temptation. I also know how to bring judgment on people who are doing wrong. And one thing that oftentimes the Christian struggles with, and we see that in the book of Pro, in Psalms, and chapter seven, 37 says, fret not thyself because of what? Evildoers. You see that it seems like wrong is right, and you see negative things happen, and boy, you can spend so much time getting so angry over injustices or perceived injustices that you see. And I tell you, God's a great equalizer. And it may not happen in your lifetime, but it'll happen on God's terms, and you will do that. But he's telling them, listen, fight against false doctrine. Ask yourself, when you read the Bible, you ought to ask yourself, is there, is there a promise to claim? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a principle to apply? Is there something God's trying to teach me here in this message? What do I need to know? Uh, is there a warning? Is there a new thought to ponder? But stay within the confines of the scriptures and be, be, be loud where God's loud and be quiet where God's silent. I think that's an important principle. Number four, number three, foreseeing God's agenda. Chapter three is that God gives us a little bit of a, a, a thought that God has in the, uh, the upcoming, upcoming uh, plan. And by the way, you say, what's the world coming to? It's coming to the Lord, okay? It's playing right into God's hand. You mean, Mr., the, the government leaders are doing that? Yes. They think they're winning, but they're not winning. It's going to come right into God's plan, and it is that way. And boy, I think we might want to spend more time trying to get the gospel to someone than trying to fight some of these, some of these things. I think we ought to vote where we can vote. I think we ought to do what we can do to, to influence our community. I was so glad to hear of uh, Miss Jennifer Ruth running for Congress. That's great. And someone else ought to run for I think it's fantastic. But I will tell you, while she's running for Congress, she ought to be a soul winner. <laughs> she ought to be in, in influencing others for the Lord Jesus Christ and constantly on her heart. Because the greatest thing you can do uh, is to humble yourself, to seek his face, to pray, turn from wicked ways, and seek the eternal purpose that God has for us. I think that's what we can do in this time. You see, very little of the apostles, Peter, even though he got his head, he got, he got crucified by Nero, James got his head cut off, they, they continually persecuted him. You don't see him spend a lot of time arguing against the government. You see him spending time getting people in the gospel of Jesus. And they know, they said, think it not strange when, a, when, your, when your faith is tried with a fiery trial. It's going to happen. It's going to go. But you'll see in First in, in uh, Second Peter 3 that the Lord really shows his, um, his, his plan. He says, you know what? This world's going to melt with a fervent heat. Everything you see right now, this pulpit, your car out there in the, in the parking lot, 
the, the nicest house you can get, you know what someday is going to do? It's going to, an element's going to burn with a fervent, it's going to go into nothingness. And everything we see in this world, the most beautiful things, the most heinous things, is going to burn with a fervent heat. God's going to bring justice. He said, there's a lot of scoffers that have ideas what's going on. And they say, oh, you've said that for a long time. God's going to come back and fix everything. Going to come back and fix everything. He said, why didn't he come back now? I had an old ornery neighbor one time that uh, kept on saying, every time I see him, he goes, if your God's so great, why don't he come back and fix all this mess right now? You know, And that's, that's what he would say. Or, why did kids get hurt? Usually he'd have about 17 Budweiser's on his desk when he said that to, to me. He's a little bit goofy. But, but boy, you want to give God, you know, say, what's wrong with God? You know what the Bible says? God is not slack concerning his promise. Some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. I remember sitting with that guy a couple years later in the hospital at St. Mary's Hospital in Long Beach, California. And uh, all of a sudden, he was ready to listen. He's ready to listen and accept the gift of eternal life. The best way I could explain to him, I hope he did. But, uh, you know, the thing that, the thing that, that, uh, that burned me, I thought about why, how arrogant he was over here with his Budweiser and sitting in his living room, but uh, how humble he was in a hospital room, <laughs> asking God to have mercy on his soul, forgive him. You know, why did God not deal with him back then? Because he was merciful to him, not willing that he would go to hell, but he would come to repentance, a change of mind or heart. Let's look at the last thing, finish right Finish right. We already read those verses there, but finishing right, growing in grace. Here's a couple things to learn. Number, number one, in Jesus we have all that we need. And that's chapter one, verse number three. I've already gone over that with you. We have his person, we have his power, we have his promises, we have his divine nature. Now we need to go to work. Number two, God does deal with sin and rewards righteousness. Look at this, just a couple verses there, if you would please. Chapter 2, and verse number 3 and 4, the Bible says, For through covetousness they with feign words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them into hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness, to be reserved for judgment. Would you read, if you would please, uh, skip down with me if you can read verse number 9, if you would please, out loud. For the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Basically, God's saying, I'm the, great, I'm the big equalizer. Okay? I know how to deal with sin. I know how to reward those who are righteous. That's what he says. Verse number 3. Because of coming judgment, what should be our response? Would you look at chapter 3 and verse number 11? If you'll read 3, 1 through that part, you'll see that God's going to bring judgment. Now look at the first word of verse 11 of chapter 3. What's the first word you see there? Seen. What's another word for that? How could you say it today? What? Looking. Okay. Yeah, observing this. He said, now, I've said all this. Now seeing that all these things are going to come to pass, what's going to happen? Jesus coming back. Everybody's going to have judgment for God. With God. Okay, because this is going to happen, and everything we treasure in this world is going to burn with a fervent heat, and all the stuff, and Jesus said, lay up, for, not for yourselves treasure in heaven, but seek eternal, eternal goals. Seeing this, verse number 11, that all these things shall be dissolved, using a scientific term there, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So he said, re realizing that, that life is short, eternity is long, Stuff, you're going to leave everything back with you when you, go, when you leave this world. He said, you might want to live holy and godly in this life. That's what he, it's his motivation. We ought to be dedicated. 
And then verse 14, would you look at that one please? Here's another admonition. Verse number 14, wherefore beloved, what's the next word? Seeing or evaluating what I've just now said, that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in how? Peace. Are you at peace right now? Am I at peace? Without spot, clean, and blameless in a wicked, in a wicked world. Because of the coming of Christ, we should be dedicated and diligent. Number four, we should keep growing in grace in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ for his glory.